Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product Bed Podcast. Today, I have Darina, who is the co-founder of OpenPhone. Darina and I go back actually five years ago. We were working at a company called Vidyard. Um, and together, we helped launch this product called Muted, which was a crazy great success. And I have been witnessing her journey of just growing OpenPhone to this great success that is today. And if you haven't signed up for OpenPhone, it is a business phone that is actually really easy to use. And I used it for my business from like day one almost because I was traveling all the way across the world. And I didn't want to keep changing my phone number. Uh, so it was really nice to have an online app that made it easy for that stuff. So it's an amazing tool. They've done some amazing things as well. But what we're going to be talking about today is really just how OpenPhone went from 0 to 1,000 customers. Now they have a lot more customers than that today. But this is the meat. Uh, the hardest 1,000 are going to be the first 1,000 for you to get for your business. So Serena, why don't you just give a quick little introduction about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. So great to be here to catch up, to chat as well. So in terms of uh, my background, I started my career initially in consulting. I was at Deloitte, quickly realized that I love startups and startup world. Uh, we worked together at Vidyard, which was amazing. Uh, so I was in product there. And from there, co-founded OpenPhone, now a little over four years ago. And uh, we've been on this crazy journey ever since. I feel like the fun is just beginning though. And uh, yeah, really excited to chat and share some of the maybe harder earned, learned lessons there. Totally. And what was like the origin story as far as the business goes? What like prompted you to be like, all right, I want to dedicate, you know, five to 10 years of my life to this at least. <laughs> yeah. So the idea came from my co-founder and honestly, there were several things that prompted this, but I think for you as a fellow Canadian, you'll, you'll resonate with this. So actually, you probably know in Canada, Canadians pay the most, I think maybe number one or two in the world in terms of how expensive cell phone bills are. And my co-founder's friend just ended up porting his phone number from Rogers or Fido to like a VoIP service to a virtual phone number provider and ended up saving a lot of money. So he mentioned this to my co-founder and just mentioned it as a cool fact, like, hey, did you know you can save 80% on your phone bill. So my phone, uh, my co-founder Mahir just decided to try it out. It seemed like a fun thing to do. And also you get to save money. So why not? So when he ported his phone number from, I think, Rogers to this other service that was fully internet-based, he noticed that it's really cool because you have full control over your phone number. You can use it anywhere in the world without roaming. You can configure it to do all kinds of things. It's super powerful and flexible. But the interface that he was using on this other service was just so clunky, so complicated. So he thought he could make something much better. And I saw him kind of building it. I saw him just creating a better service initially just for himself. And my thought was, well, I can sell it. I could see a lot of people who could use it. So we started working on it. That was, that was the story. But there were also a lot of other data points around just seeing friends who have businesses who hated using their personal phone numbers and just seeing how this could be super applicable for businesses. And yeah, here we are. Totally. So was that alternative Fongo or was it some other service? Uh, it was another service. Yeah, it was another service. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because yeah, I, I had used Fongo prior to using OpenPhone. <laughs> I resonated with everything there. I was like, oh my goodness. It, I was lucky to receive some of the messages. So yes, I totally get you on that part. Now... 
Take us from, okay, that was the initial part. Your co-founder started just building out this application for himself. You wanted to sell it. What was kind of the next step where you're like, okay, let's, I don't know, formalize this as a business. What did that look like for the next step in the journey? Yeah, so the next step was actually, uh, you know, um, I was at the time uh, working at Vidyard in Waterloo. And I think the next like very important step for us was participating in entering Velocity Incubator, Accelerator, Velocity Garage in Kitchener. Really, the thing was that we were able to work uh, really well as a two-person team because, you know, Mahir was building and I was selling. It was really very clear kind of delineation in terms of what needs to happen. And we wanted to be a part of the environment that was a lot more inspiring that allowed us to make progress. And that was a, a big step because we joined Velocity Garage. We saw all these other folks building things. And it's so inspiring when you're not just on your own. You feel like there are others like staying up late, working and trying to make things work. So that was the next step. And after that, the next big step was us applying and getting into YC. So when we joined uh, Y Combinator in early 2018, I think that's when it got like very real because we went to becoming a company. Okay. So I guess between the accelerator, so you joined Velocity. What did you get to the business to? At what point was it like, I don't know, 100 users or what that looked like as far as like customer count and all that stuff before you went to YC? Yeah. So uh, when we joined Velocity, we were right around the time of launching our beta. So our, initially our product was free. We just really wanted to see if people would use it, would, I mean, would pay for it, but just use it to begin with. So our beta was, we entered beta and Exactly when we joined Velocity, it was September 2017. And we had probably a little over like 1,400 people who have signed up and and used the product with various degrees of engagement, I would say. Uh, But again, the product was free, so people could like come and go. And when we joined YC, we already were able to convert 50 people out of that group of like 1,400 into paying customers. And so when we were interviewing with YC, what I think was very important reflecting on that was that we didn't just have users. We had 50 people paying us $10 a month. So it wasn't zero. Yes. So exciting. And that was, that, that was the time when we joined YC. Okay, got it. Now, why did you give away the product for free initially? It sounded like it was more of like a usage play to see like if people would want to find it useful. But I want to hear like maybe more of the strategy behind that because I've seen that a few other product companies too. And it's really interesting because it's like, okay, yeah, you definitely want to validate that people want to pay for this. But yeah, I want to hear your reasoning on this too. Yeah, I think the huge part here is that unlike a lot of products, we were and we are in a busy space. So even though, of course, the whole premise for the product was just us being shocked at the fact that there, that there are no good alternatives. There's like the, we thought the alternatives on the market were really complicated and hard to use. Uh, but there's still some level of expectations that you have as a customer for what the phone should do. You know, you want to be able to text, you want to be able to call, things should work. There's just like a certain bar, minimum bar you need to meet for the product to be useful. And the reason why we had it for free initially is that we were kind of just getting there, you know? To be fair, now that I think about it, it wasn't a very elaborate discussion about should we charge for it? Pretty sure, you know, it was just my hair building the product. He had to pick 
does he build billing or does he build features that are core to the product? So it was also yeah. just a matter of, of going from like from zero to something. And we, I think, I think the good thing is we started talking to customers really early and having the product free just allowed us to have a lot of conversations mm-hmm. with people and find out what are the groups of customers that find this valuable. So in retrospect, uh, you kind of, kind of, if we had more people on the team, if it wasn't just Matt here, yeah. maybe we would have been able to make it to, uh, to charge for it sooner. But we just picked building features over worrying about billing. Okay. No, that totally makes sense. And so once you hit like that 1400 range, what was kind of going through your head where it's like, is this enough? Is this like, should we just keep doing this? What kind of made you transition to be like, okay, let's turn on the paid tap on this and see if people are willing to pay for this? Yeah, I remember actually the distinct moment. To be fair, we were talking about it and we were, you know, we knew that we were like getting ready to do that. Yeah. Uh, but the the very trigger point was that uh, before our YC interview, uh, YC, and I think they still do this, uh, they had office hours in Toronto and we were able to meet with one of uh, YC partners, Yuri Sagalov, who essentially, you know, there's a partners kind of visiting different schools in different cities and talking to potential applicants. And we got feedback on the idea. We got feedback on open phone. And really one of the first things that Yuri mentioned was, well, this is great. Are you curious to know how many of these people would actually pay? We basically said, yes, we will absolutely charge for it. And he was like, well, why don't you charge now? People should be getting value. Like, it seems like people are getting value out of the product. You should just see if that's true. So we turned it on like shortly after. And again, I actually think that helped our YC application because we were able to go into the interview with YC with revenue, not just users. So that was a very good call out and probably forced us to do it before we were quite comfortable. Yes. We felt like not that comfortable. We we're always like, oh, you know, we'll charge later. But that was a really good call out and, and helped us uh, just learn so much more. Okay. And like when they said, you know what, there was like lots of like good usage going on and stuff like that. What were like the metrics you were looking at as far as like, okay, out of those 1400 people, there's, was it like people coming back into the app? Was it people making calls or texts? Or what was the kind of like indicators you were looking for as far as like, okay, they are getting serious value from this product? For sure. So there were several, I think definitely we were looking at usage and like calls being made, messages being made. But there were several also indicators that made it seem like, okay, well, this is for real. This is not like people are getting serious value. We started having people come to us and want to migrate their existing phone number from another service to open phone. And to me, that's a huge vote of confidence because that phone number was already getting traffic. It's a phone number with existing traffic, existing established, you know, you have it posted somewhere. You don't want to lose it. You want to use it with open phone. That's immediately like you are willing to pay for it as well. So we were starting to see that. We we're starting to see people actually put their open phone number on their website, on business cards, on different places. So at that point, you know that they are very serious about it. And even if engagement isn't immediately there, the intent is to use it long term. And we thought that meant that people actually value the product. Okay. And then the other thing you touched on, but I want to go a bit deeper, is the price. So it's $10 a month, or that's what you initially charge for it. Um, how do you kind of come up with that range is like, hey, this is what people are willing to pay? 
Yeah, so we looked at some alternatives. There were several things that went into uh, our pricing. So first, we looked at alternatives. And I also feel like we've usually been more conservative and very strict on ourselves in terms of like making sure we can live up to the value. So we looked at alternatives and kind of was like essentially the entry point. And we felt like with the quality we put into the product, we could easily justify that. The reason why we maybe hesitated to put to make it higher is because we really wanted to have maybe uh, we knew that eventually, and now we do, we can always introduce higher tiers of the product and we can offer more value to customers who, who just need more out of the solution. So we always thought we can offer a premium plan, an enterprise plan, and that's what made us comfortable starting out with 10. And another factor is we always knew that open phone will ultimately end up being a product that starts out with one person in the company and then can scale to the team. And we saw the pricing there should be almost like a no-brainer where people aren't nervous about getting an extra license for their teammates. So we kind of early on identified that that would be our motion and we can't have the entry point of our product to be priced in a way that discourages that internal sort of virality. Totally. Yeah. What I love about that is, like you mentioned, it's the no-brainer price. It's easy. It's enough where it's like, okay, it's something. But yeah, you also touched on the other part too about, yeah, you can always add more complex enterprise plans uh, later on, which I think like what you have that's unique here is like, okay, it started off being more or less like a product-led company right from the get-go. And so it's just like, okay, you start off there, you solve some of those beginner problems. And then you can always stack on some of those more intermediate problems, advanced problems with other tiers plans. So I love that. So you got 50 customers. Take us through. What happened next? You got into YC and then it boom, a thousand. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, kind no. of the major steps along the way. Yeah, I think that maybe the, there were several steps along the way. I think, well, the first part was that the way that we got to 50, you know, I mentioned that we had about 1,400, I believe, 1,300, 1,400 people who were initially using it for free. And then when we got the advice, like, well, you have to start charging for it. We obviously had like a very generous and, and thoughtful sort of like a transition period. We let people know, you know, this product will be paid. We'll let people kind of naturally move and, and kind of, make sure all that makes sense. But it felt like because we already had that at least somewhat of a base and those 50 people who started paying, they were paying and they were really, really happy about the product. And they were, the word of mouth was working right away. So th- those 50 people who gave us their first, you know, our first dollars, they were already actively promoting the product in their communities, telling others about it, which was insanely helpful. But that was obviously not enough to go from 50 to 1,000. So the first things that we did where, I mean, my kind of approach was going to places where people are already looking for this type of service. Because a lot of businesses, a lot of people know they need a business phone. They're searching on Google. They're searching on Reddit. They're searching on Facebook groups. So I found a whole bunch of existing threads on Reddit. Uh, You know, I found a bunch of groups on Facebook that had these types of discussions. And I sort of, interjected myself, I would hope initially in a, in a weird way, maybe not the most, like I kind of was banned a couple of times, but I later realized that, you know, I can interject in these conversations, provide value, and ultimately have people kind of become aware of the product. So that's what I did. I had a couple of Reddit posts that had quite a bit of reach on Reddit. 
in, in the relevant subreddits. And I didn't expect that to happen, but that led to quite a lot of very relevant customers finding out, signing up, and also becoming advocates. So those were the early grassroots type of tactics that paid off really well because people already were looking for a solution on different forums. Interesting. Okay. So you were the social media master of jumping in, finding out whoever was talking about this. I love it because it it is trying to find like, okay, who is actually struggling with this problem right now? And with social media nowadays, it's really straightforward. Like, okay, what groups might they be in? It takes some digging, but you can find out like, okay, these are people I could help today. It is definitely more time intensive, but you can see those results a lot faster, which is great. So there was word of mouth than the social media side of things. On the word of mouth, how did you know people were talking about it? Like, sure, like there was, you mentioned like, okay, they're like really happy and stuff like that, which I'm sure you can easily measure. But on that end of like measuring word of mouth, how did you kind of know that, okay, this is sticky? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I knew, I saw, you know, we, we would always ask people for reviews. The type of reviews were getting more great. And I think word of mouth, that, that has a, plays a role too, because I know that what had to happen is, when we entered the space, we had absolutely no credibility and we were we're in the business space with a lot of players. And I know because I've had customers tell me, hey, I heard about you guys, but then I looked at your reviews and it seemed like you have amazing reviews. So for me, this loop is the following. You have a happy customer and we had 50 happy paying customers initially. They were really happy and they were, you know, we asked them for reviews. I think sometimes founders are afraid to ask. I know this is sometimes awkward and you feel like you feel bad asking, but I literally asked those people, hey, would you mind reviewing us? And we initially just wanted app store reviews. But I know that because we had all these amazing, there were not a lot of reviews, but they were really high quality. When we were talking to other people about the products, they checked us out. They looked at the reviews and said, this seems like a trustworthy service. Let's uh, Let me use it. So that was one loop, so to speak. I also know because a lot of these customers came from certain Facebook groups and forums, I could later see that I am no longer the one plugging open phone everywhere. Yeah, they were plugging open phone. I no longer had to be like the first person to like comment on a thread. I know I things got crazy, but I could just see that people are doing that for me. Another thing that I did, which Again, earlier, there was not much happening, but now it's much more useful. Um, But I set up a whole bunch of social listening. So we use a tool like Notifier for Reddit, where if anyone mentions OpenPod on Reddit, I get an email right away. I can see it. I can like jump in and see what people are saying. Uh, That was very helpful too, because we are starting to see people actually mentioning the product, which meant that this is starting to work. Awesome. And so we got word of mouth, then it was the social media side of things, social listening. Uh, what was kind of like the, the third thing that you did to really get more of these users? Yeah, I'll tell you this, you know, and, and looking back at the time when we just joined YC, one of the first, I think one of the mo- most fundamental lessons learned was that a lot of times you overcomplicate things unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, when we joined YC, our group partner, Michael Seibel, told us right away, you have to get customers that are the easiest customers for you to get. Because we still have these like great, a lot of ideas for all kinds of customers that we want. But then there are customers who are looking for your product, who are ready to buy, who are like going to give you a credit card right away. And then there are customers who have to nurture forever and you don't even know, right? So one thing we identified is that 
we always wanted to serve small businesses, but we never thought that startups, like startups are small businesses too. And the thing about startups is that a lot of them need a solution. And we are a startup. We can talk to startups in a way that really resonates because we are a startup too. We, we know what it's like. We feel their pain. So one thing that I did in those early days of YC was cold emailing. And I emailed founders. I mean, depending on who you are listening to podcasts, maybe I've even emailed you. But I've emailed so many founders, obviously selling into the YC community, which was easier because, of course, you know there is like a, already a network there. But I emailed founders of startups that I thought were most likely good customers for us. And I did that all throughout the summer we were in YC. And that was a huge... I mean, that, that contributed to our growth because I could get direct response typically. If someone's interested, they would tell me right away. If someone's not interested, they would also typically be very kind and explain why. So I could learn really quickly without spending money on ads. I could learn what companies resonate with this versus not. Awesome. I love that. And yeah, I think a lot of people overlook like cold email, find those people who are needing that solution right now. But like what you pointed out too, that's really a double click on is just really identifying who are those people that can buy and want to buy your solution right now and really honing in on that specific group. And maybe I'll give you an example yeah. of something that we learned. So for example, you know, there's a universe of companies. We saw that. I saw that I could write a really good email. So for example, and again, this is I'm sharing the secrets here, but what I found, you know, there are a lot of companies that already have a phone number listed on their website. And one of our like early on, one of our key hypotheses was that, well, if you put a phone number on the website, if it's a personal phone number, it's a horrible idea. You're like, you know, you're going to regret that. And no one wants spam calls. No one wants that mess from the early days, right? So if I could see that a company has a like younger startup or small business has a phone number listed on their site, uh, they're either A, using their personal phone number or B, using a solution that's outdated, complicated, they're ultimately not happy with. So I felt like I could just send a note being like, hey, what solution are you using for that phone number? And people would at least engage and say, hey, here's what I'm using. Like, are you happy with it? Like, I'm not really selling you immediately. I'm just learning about what your situation is. And if it's appropriate, I can say, hey, you know what? We can actually do this better. So I was able to get a lot of conversations going that way. Awesome. Now, I like that approach too, because it's, I mean, I, I receive a ton of cold email every single day. And it's like, <laughs> a lot of it's just like, hey, buy my stuff. And I'm like, okay, junk. But yeah, that way is just really trying to find out, okay, what is their current solution? What are the ways that they're happy with it? Okay, so be it. But most people are probably not happy and then find that solution. Awesome. So we got that part, cold email. What else uh, went into getting those first thousand customers? Yeah, well, I'll tell you that there are several obviously really important uh, milestones for us that help, right? So one was we launched on Potter Hunt. And this was, you know, 20, I'm kind of going back now, 2018. I think the like maybe the golden era of like product hub launches, everyone was doing product hub launches. So mm -hmm. we did ours and we got a lot of customers from there. I also learned that one interesting learning was that we can, you know, and in the early days we felt like we can kind of sell to everyone. But when you are a startup or a small business and you're also interested in new tools, because people who hang out on product hub are typically 
interested in like discovering new tools, mm-hmm. you actually have much higher intent because you are there, you're browsing sites with the intent to try things out. So we found Product Hunt wasn't just great for awareness, but actually those folks who found us on Product Hunt ended up signing up. So I remember days when, you know, when our Product Hunt launch happened, it wasn't just vanity traffic to the homepage, it was actually customers signing up. That was really cool. We did have a TechCrunch kind of launch slash announcement. I have to say that was highlighted. That was amazing too. I also will point out that it's likely because you know, we are a very easy to sign up product, you know, $10 per month, you put your credit card, it's done, super easy to sign up. So anytime we had press mentions or product hunt, that led to immediate customers, uh, not just then. Those were two really big kind of uh, milestones. I do want to mention another one that I thought that was very interesting was in June of that year, you know, I knew that content is important, but we didn't really have our own blog. And now that I know, I wish we started much earlier on that journey. Uh, but we didn't really have our own blog. And I was like blogging on Medium sometimes. But obviously, that's like much harder to distribute. Uh, so I found, you know, we're a product for small businesses. I thought, okay, what are the publications that have the audience that I'm looking to reach? And I found, you know, uh, Wave Accounting. They have a great blog. Uh, and I thought, well, can I get to contribute something to that blog? Can I offer something? And I remember writing a guest post for that blog and again, wouldn't be able to, it, it got amazing distribution. It was about why you should use your personal phone number for business. It was a very natural organic topic for, for us to write about. And because they have amazing distribution and the idea was, you know, we offer good content. They have great distribution. We were able to get tons of customers there. So I got a taste for content from that point and thought, okay, we need our own blog eventually. (laughs) Yes. All right. So you got that part for the blog distribution. So I want to recap the five steps that you got here. So there was one, like leaning into just like word of mouth, getting those reviews. Two uh, was really just about like that social listening, finding those people who are already talking about this particular subject, reaching out to them or just commenting with something helpful for them to dig into. Three is find the buyers that are most likely to just buy right now and cold email outreach to them. Find that buyer that's, you know, there's relatability. Also, they're a really good fit to go with the product. Four, the product hunt launch, tech crunch launch. And five, really just try and leverage other people's audiences with blogs or other could be beyond blogs. But that's the gist as far as how could you help them hit their goals of creating great content, but then for you, tying it back to what you do as a product. So I love that. Now, and when it came to like building your team throughout this process from zero to a thousand customers, what did that look like? Like, what was your first hire or second hire? What did that kind of look like as you've kind of evolved the team? Yes, we actually got our first thousand customers. I mean, now that I think about it, so kind of crazy. We got them as a team of two. So we uh, we didn't hire our first person until uh, January of twenty. I'm, I'm just like going through 2019. (laughs) So we went through YC as a team of two. We had a couple of months after YC, we were still a team of two. And then our first hire was an engineer. We actually just really, really needed engineers initially, just because the product needs to support so much. Looking back, and also I I have to mention, throughout this journey, I was also doing customer support. There was like quite a bit of support volume. I think that there is definitely some lessons learned there. I feel 
you know, we started with just YC money and we kind of, we still are super scrappy, but we were very, very careful about where to invest and where to spend money. So we didn't really hire anyone throughout YC uh, and just kind of were two people for this full time. Looking back, I would have probably, I mean, I really wish we brought, brought on an engineer sooner. Really wish we brought on customer support sooner because I felt like between me and Mahir, both of us were just like so much in the weeds of the day to day of the business. Mm-hmm. You know, while I was trying to find customers, I was also literally in the queue, in the support queue all day. So there was definitely, I could have offloaded a lot of things earlier and probably we would have grown faster because of that. Totally. Okay. So those were first two hires, the engineer and then customer support? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we hired more engineers. Frankly, our first marketing, our first full-time marketing hire was thinking that was actually in last year, about a year ago. We now have a much bigger marketing team, but our first marketer joined us a year ago. So we were actually really, really engineering and product focused. And I think because we really had to, and because we have to, we uh, there's just so much to build in the product, and we we felt that was those hires were much more urgent in the early days. Okay, interesting. And so leaned more into just like hiring the engineering side of things, and then as far as that goes from the acquisition side, how did that kind of play out? Since you typically hear like some companies, okay, they get the product working, then they hire like you know, like you said, the engineer, the customer support, and then maybe it might be marketing earlier. But I'm curious how that kind of impacted the business? Like, did the customer acquisition still kind of keep going up as more people were just sharing it from via like word of mouth? Yeah, we've been incredibly lucky. I think that there's just a lot to be said about even to this day, we've grown primarily on organic, like mostly organic. Yeah. Uh, one of the key things that we did that has helped us get here was in 2020, early 2020, finally, we set up our blog. Yeah. And because, you know, we saw that Really, going back to that earlier lesson that we saw quite early that people are already looking for a solution on Google. They are searching forums and Reddit and all kinds of places, but they are searching for this. And yes, it is cool to borrow an audience and obviously do guest posts and stuff like that. But we knew we needed to own this. We knew we needed to be showing up. So one of the things we did was set up our blog, start ranking, start writing for very high intent keywords and producing content that would be helpful and would rank. And that is like an amazing loop. Like that's super important to us now. And I think because we invested in that relatively early, it has helped us get to this point where we're still not fully relying. You know, we're just mm-hmm. ramping up paid right now. So we got quite far on organic. And if we didn't have that channel, then we would have been I think we would have been in trouble because we would have had to start doing paid advertising much earlier. Right. Okay. And could you tell me just a bit more about like your own journey from like at the beginning for the first, it was a year or two before you hired your first person for the engineer? Our first uh, engineer joined us and like a year and a half into building or or I would say a year into, I guess like there was a beta phase. I would say a year into us building this seriously. So. Okay. No, totally get it. And so tell me about like your own journey as far as leveling up as a leader, because that's usually like whether it's the first hire that typically can be the hardest one to kind of get right as far as culture and stuff like that. 
And then you mentioned as well, like you're doing a lot of the customer support and then that hire kind of like delegate and everything else. So could you just touch on like how you've leveled up throughout this whole process? Yeah, for sure. I think my biggest lessons learned and frankly, as I look back, most mistakes and lessons and reflections are around hiring, either hiring too early sometimes, mostly mostly hiring too late. Uh, I think that maybe first-time founders would, would relate here. Again, we started out by doing everything ourselves. So I think the idea of... I think now I understand maybe well in advance, like, hey, we need this person to take this on because this will grow and this problem set will uh, will be important. But earlier on, we just kind of didn't we didn't really know exactly who we needed to bring on, like what makes a great person for a specific role. And my biggest learning throughout this journey has just been being very deliberate and thoughtful about identifying areas of the business that need ownership, figuring out what type of person would be the best person for that type of problem, and being incredibly thoughtful, diligent, and just really making sure we get in front of the right people and make the right hire for that area. So I think about hiring all day, every day now. I used to not think about it at all. Yeah. This whole journey is just basically, I feel like, becoming a recruiter. I think that should be like the title. What you don't oh. know happens to you as a founder. You just become a recruiter, basically. So you should probably not ask me about marketing anymore because, <laughs> hey, I live in recruiting land. Yeah, I can see... Um... For the podcast listeners, Darina has the book Who, <laughs> which says it all <laughs> in the background. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You saw it. Yeah. I, it's I, a good book. I read it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely a big change in the mind, mindset. And, and I think, um, although I have to say that I feel it's it's very, it's much easier to hire when you have, you know, it, it was easy to hire, for example, for customer support after. I did customer support because you know what it's like. Easier to hire for an area when, where you have direct experience with it. So on one hand, doing all this early on, being so in the weeds of everything was helpful because you could identify the right people. But at the same time, I think, I think maybe we spent a little too much time there. We could have kind of scaled certain areas earlier. Totally. Any other like big... I guess maybe either leadership mistakes or big lessons learned in the process of scaling that you wanted to share? Well, how much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. I think there's probably across the board so many. I feel like when when people talk about the, and I've I've heard this so many times, you know, bring on people who are much better than you, bring on people you can learn from. I feel like you you listen to that and Mm -hmm. you're like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, but I think that when you truly so internalize it, when you see, uh, which, when you just see the impact of you know making the right hires and the impact they make on your business, uh, feel like that's kind of that's the name of the game, you know, and that becomes the most high impact thing to do. I think for me, one big, I think in some ways, so ongoing lesson is just knowing when you can step away from a function, knowing when you you know when you're ready to delegate, you just do it and delegate something entirely. I think that's like a tricky lesson because I know many founders, including me, are very passionate about their business, about their product. And in some cases, it's it's hard to kind of just completely say, hey, you know, take over this if you really enjoy doing that work. Uh, but I think it's necessary for you to grow as a leader. So I think I'm still learning, but I've seen the impact of delegating things right. And essentially, what is it? Giving up your Legos. That's the spirit. 
Okay. Awesome. And any other tips on how to do that for anyone here who's listening where they're like, you know what, I really struggle with the whole delegation piece of building a business and scaling it up. Yeah. So I think there are two tactical tips that I would give. So the one is that especially as you're building a company, you know, we're a remote first company. And one thing is, you know, we don't work in the office environment where you can have someone come to you, kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, how do you do this? Or help me out here. It's still possible, uh, you know, let's say on Slack, but it's a little different. I find that one of the very important things around delegation is having incredibly well done documentation. I actually probably should have mentioned this earlier. One of the really key lessons was that as we were scaling and growing, a lot of knowledge just kind of sits in your head. So of course, as a founder, if you're struggling to delegate something, it's likely because you've been doing a series of tasks or you're working on, on an area you haven't really documented your work. You're really not ready to hand it over to anyone because everything is almost like in your head. All the processes, all the tools, all the nuances, you really haven't documented. So of course, you're going to be really scared of handing that over to someone else. I find that if I work on something and then in parallel document it, even if it's not perfect, it's so much easier to hand it over to someone else because they can get the same context easily. And we can be on the same page about things. So that's been a huge tool. We use Notion. At this point, we have like a Notion document for basically everything. And that makes delegation so much easier. And the second thing I feel like people maybe worry about delegation when they haven't really made the right hire. I feel like uh, if someone said, well, I don't know, I don't know how to do delegation, that's probably a sign that they perhaps haven't made the right hire. And the idea should be, ensuring they have a very rock-solid hiring process to make sure they get the teammates to join who they would be excited to just delegate everything over. So that's a huge learning tip. No, those are solid points. Document it right, make the right hire. And then, and then go go on vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's an important step for sure. What's your one top tip for making better hires? Oh, that's 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 a great one. <laughs> there, there, I would say the I think the, the top one is I think maybe the hires that are the hardest to make are the hires where you haven't really been exposed to a lot of people doing that. So I find that if you're working, for example, for let's say like a head of finance, but you haven't really worked with people in that role, that's just so hard to make a hire. You're kind of you know it, it's a scary place. I think my best tip is really making sure that before you get into the hiring process, you have immersed... Again, and this applies specifically when you have not been exposed to people in a certain function, is really surrounding yourself with great people doing that work elsewhere. So you can set the bar for yourself for, mm -hmm. for what a great head of finance looks like. So then when you're chatting with folks, you have that reference point. And there, there's more, but I think this is the most important one because without, without this, and that person and those people you talk to can also help you design a great interview process. Because again, if you never work with people in that role, you also don't know how to interview them and how to design a proper process around that. So uh, just surrounding yourself with great people doing that work already will help you find the right person for yourself. I love that. Too. Yeah, because if you don't have that, then the bar is low <laughs> in a lot of ways or, or maybe or maybe not but you don't yeah you don't have a bar you, you also i think yeah. uh, the other point is that you also don't know 
what, you know, of course you can Google this, but you really don't know what, what are some of the great questions to ask. And yeah. you basically are going into this kind of throwing yourself into the process without really being able to tell like, okay, what does a great answer? Like, here's a question, but someone with a great answer, what will they say to this uh, when answering this question? What, uh, almost like creating that scorecard. That's the ideal state. I know people are busy, but when you talk to people and uh, great people in the role, you can create that scorecard for yourself really easily. Definitely. Is that the who scorecard or is that your own open <laughs> scorecard? <laughs> oh, no, I have. Yeah, there are several scorecards. At this point, we have, I mean, at this point, we have like a scorecard almost for kind of for every role. And by the way, to maybe not to plug this too much, depending on when this podcast goes out, I actually will be sharing some of the seven things that we've learned about hiring. I'll be sharing that, I believe, next week. So <laughs> I know there is a bit of a, but, but there's going to be a blog post on this. In fact, it's it's going out soon, kind of more about other mistakes that we've made when it comes to hiring and other lessons learned. All right, there we go. We'll add it to the show notes. Content. <laughs> so it's all about content. content. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Repurposing. Awesome. So I know we're wrapping up. Any other places people can find out more about you and what you're up to, Adriana? Yeah, well, I think I'm relatively active on Twitter. It depends how you think about it. I'm Darina Cooley on Twitter. Uh, obviously, you know, I would love for people to check out Open Phone. Uh, there's a lot happening on our social channels. But for me personally, you know, I think Twitter and LinkedIn are my go-to social networks. So. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Darina. Thank you so much, Russ. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, we will definitely create more content just like this episode. And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.